Well, good morning. It's great to be able to share with you today. Apologies that we can't be there in person. I'm sure Chris has already explained the reasons why. But let me pray for us as we open God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we come, we gather round your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote these words down. We thank you that your spirit inspired it. And we just pray now, Holy Spirit, that you will open this word to our hearts. You'll help us have hearts that are ready to receive from you, whatever it is you would say to us today. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder what your favourite food is. It's a question that if people ask me, I sometimes struggle to answer. Now, the reason is not because I don't have favourite food. It's that I have so many different types of favourite food. So whether it's curry, whether it's Italian food, Greek food, Turkish food, um, a roast, whether it's cheese or bread or fruit, there's all kinds of things that I just love to eat. Now, I do have one particular type of favourite food, and that is cake. Cake, to me, speaks of celebration. It's sort of good times food, isn't it? It's the kind of food you have at Christmas and at birthdays. And cake invites you in. It wants to be eaten, but then sadly, it hangs around for a bit too long afterwards. Um, Now, I have to be quite disciplined with eating cake. As I've got older, I realise more and more that it has to be treat food. It can't be an everyday. And it certainly isn't like fruit and veg where you have your five a day. Now, I'm relatively good at doing that, relatively. You have to ask Claire if she agrees with me. But I have rules and regulations to monitor my behaviour, to make sure that I don't eat too much. But you know what? No matter how good those rules, no matter how good those regulations, no matter how much I monitor what I eat, it can't change my heart. It can't actually change what I want to be doing. And you see, this is really what Paul is on about in this passage. The rules and regulations, that law-keeping, that holy days and high days, and religious observance can't change the human heart. So essentially, he's encouraging the church in Colossae. Think about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, the church in Colossae, as we've seen over recent weeks, although there were so many great things going on this in this church, it was a church that was facing problems. And the problems came largely from being a Christian community in a pagan Greek city. So there was all the influence of the Greek religions and superstitions that had been there for centuries. But also, on top of that, it appears from these verses that actually there's a group within the church who are thinking, well, now we've become Christians. Now we're following Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah. Surely we should then be keeping all the Jewish laws. Jewish rules about food keeping, about Sabbath observance, all these um, things that in the Old Testament were key markers of faith in God. So as Paul writes to this church, he writes to encourage them to keep their eyes on Jesus. Verse 16, he starts with a really important word in the New Testament writings. And it's a word that Paul will use. It's a word that the writer of the Hebrews will use. And it's the word therefore. Therefore. If you can think back for a few weeks ago, if you've been joining with us while we've been looking at Colossians, we, we said um, that Colossians is a book really in two halves. The first half of it is all about teaching about who Jesus is. It's about doctrine, if you like. And Paul will tell us that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God himself. He's not God's representative or God's ambassador, but he is the word made flesh. He is God who has come amongst us. 
Paul will then go on and tell us that it's Christ who has defeated the powers, the powers of darkness, the powers in the heavenly realms and the powers on earth. And he has defeated sin and death so that we can share in eternity with him. But then there's a therefore. Because for Paul, being a Christian is not just about a change in how we think about the universe. It's not just a change in our sort of um, intellectual mind. It's a change of how we behave. It has to hit the ground running. For Christianity to have credibility and to be real, it has to impact what we do at nine o'clock on a Sunday, on a Monday morning. It has to hit the ground running. And so Paul, with the therefore, says, because of all this, then think about how you live. Now, these words words, um, in this chapter, they are a little complicated. And they do deal with some issues that perhaps are not our issues. And in verse 23, particularly, it sort of baffled commentators and translators for probably 1700 years as to what Paul is on about. But to my mind, what Paul is actually doing in these verses is contrasting two ways of living. And the first way is a kind of way of living that is all about external markers. It's all about trying to prove spirituality by the things that we do and the rules and regulations that we follow. And then there's a second way, which is actually what Paul will then go on to sort of expand later on in the letter. And it's the way of life that is involved with dying with Christ, dying to our old ways and being raised with him to a new life, a life where Jesus is at the centre, where our relationship with God is what drives us and motivates us, where the human heart is not tried to control by, by all these rules and regulations, but it's about following a person, and it's about following the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat and drink or with regards to a religious festival. It appears that the church in Colossae was becoming rather divided over whether these were necessary for being a Christian. And Paul says, well, don't let people judge you about this. This is not what matters. It doesn't matter whether you decide to keep the Jewish food laws. These um, observance of high days and holy days, this is not what is actually important. Because in verse 17, he says they were a shadow of what is to come. Now, I'm very glad that shadows are real things. And the reason being is that shadows give me shade to sit in when it's hot. Now, this time of year, it's not really an issue. But if you think even back a couple of weeks when the sun was sort of blaring down, um, I'm not somebody who is very good sat in the sun. I like to sit in the shade. Now, me and Claire are totally different here. Claire likes to sit in the sun. So in our garden, our house casts a shadow down the garden. And sort of in the morning, there's just a little bit of shade at the top of the, the garden. By the afternoon, the shade has gone right the way down, almost towards the bottom of the garden. So we have this rather comical thing, if we're sat out there, is I will stay sat where I am, in the shade, and the shade um, doesn't really move. And then Claire will be following the sun further and further down the garden. And so by the end of the afternoon, we can sort of be quite, quite sort of different, separated down the garden, sort of shouting at one another as we try to communicate. But shade, shadows, they're they're not of themselves real things. They're only there because something has caused them. In our case, it's the house that causes the shadow. Now, Paul says religious festivals, food laws and other types of outward religion, they are not the reality of godly worship that Paul is encouraging the Colossian church to get involved with. Actually, life should be centred around the person of Jesus. These were a shadow of what was to come. 
Now, I think the imagery here is, is quite interesting. It's almost as if Paul is saying the light of Christ has shone a shadow into Israel's past. And the law, the prophets, the worship of the temple, the sacrifice system is a shadow of what was to come in Jesus, whose light then shines into eternity and leads us forward. Verse 18, he goes on to talk about people who are falsely humble, who think with all this law observance and religious behaviour, it makes them somebody who, who is special and stands out. He talks about those who are worshipping angels. Don't go there, is the message of Colossians. Angels are not to be worshipped. That was probably a mixture of this Gnosticism, this paganism, Christianity that was getting blurred. And then there's the, the, the danger of thinking that actually religious experience, visions and dreams of the like, of themselves, are markers of spirituality. Now, Paul will say this stuff, all this stuff, all this external stuff of itself is not the key thing. The key thing is Jesus. Now, Paul is not against Christians having dreams and visions. If we think back to the day of Pentecost, when Peter stands up and preaches, he goes to the prophet Joel, and he says that when the spirit is poured out, people will have dreams and visions. God will communicate to us in different ways. And Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 12 will talk about his own experiences in that sphere. So Paul is not against that in any way, shape or form. But what he's saying is that of itself is not the marker of discipleship. For Paul, rules, regulations, holy days, high days, visions and the like are not markers of having died with Christ. And he actually goes as far as to say these things can actually invert themselves rather than cause humility. They can actually cause pride and cause us to lose connection to Jesus. Look at verse 19, connection from the head. Why? Well, because actually they make us think that we're somebody. And rather than having died with Christ, rather than having submitted ourselves to his lordship, we think that somehow by the things that we can do that we're earning our way to God. We look the part, we may sound the part, but actually underneath, has that change happened? On Wednesday lunchtime, Claire got a text from one of her cousins, who's an estate agent. And um, she said, I don't know if you've seen, but the house that you used to own has come back on the market. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but the minute I hear of a house that I've either lived in in the past or a house that has been known to me or just that I, I think looks interesting, I go on right me and I have a look and I see what that house is like. So here's me and Claire, Wednesday lunchtime, get the iPad out, go on right me, see what the house that we um, used to own looks like now. Now, just a little bit of backstory. We bought this house in 2004, so quite a long time ago. And probably from 2004 to 2005, we, we really renovated this house from top to bottom. We had new windows and doors put in, it needed a rewire, it needed new heating, it needed a new roof, it had woodworm, there were all kinds of things needed doing to it. And we got this house from being really just a, a shell that needed um, a lot doing to it. It's been quite a nice place for us to live. We sold that house in 2012 um, and um, we brought up our our boys who were then very small in that house. So it was beginning to show signs of something's needing doing again. So we look online. Now to our amazement, it basically looked like we had just moved out. Over the intervening decade or so, nothing in this house apart from the furniture had changed. Nothing had been decorated. No carpets had been changed. It just looked like the house as we had left it, even down to a curtain pole 
in one of the bedrooms that I'd never got around to repairing and it was still broken. The same curtain pole was still there. Now the name on the deeds of the house has been different for quite some time. That house is nothing to do with us at all now. But actually, it looks the same. I wonder in our life whether we sometimes say, well, actually, I follow Jesus. I've accepted the call to follow Jesus in repentance and faith. But actually, I'm just moving the furniture around in my heart. I'm making it look like change has happened. When actually what God wants to do is come in and do a complete renovation work on our heart. To call us to die to our old self, to die to our egos, to die to those things that we think are important and to take on fully his agenda. He wants to come in and knock walls around when actually what we want to do is just put a couple of pictures up and try and make it look like things are okay. It's easy to read what Paul is saying here, to nod in agreement and say, go on, Paul, preach it. Preach it to those people who think that external markers are what makes a person spiritual. But actually, when we shine the light into our own hearts, I think certainly for me, these words really speak and ring true. We might think that external markers are not our thing. But actually, sometimes if we strip away those things that we do because we're Christians, like going to church, whether it's in person or online, joining in with small groups, praying, all, all these things that we do because we, we follow Jesus. If we strip those things away, I wonder actually how much we have been transformed. Let's just pause for a moment and ask ourselves some really key heart questions. Do you, do I, do we love people more than we used to? Do we have a greater passion for evangelism, for mission, for seeing the gospel spread than perhaps we used to? Do we have a greater heart for social justice, for those on the margins of society, for those who need not just help in terms of hearing the gospel, obviously that's what's needed, but help in this life as well? Do we have a greater heart? Do we love God more than we used to? When we sing our songs, not only do we sing loudly with our voices, but does our heart resonate at a deeper level with thankfulness for all that God has done? And have we actually found that we have died to some of our old ways? Not just kept them in check, not just tried to put rules and regulations around to tweak our behaviour, but have we truly died with Christ? Is the spirit doing a complete renovation work in our hearts. You see, if the answer to those questions is, well, I'm not sure or no, then this passage is for us, and I believe it's actually for all of us, to take that deep look inside and say, is God being allowed to do his work in us? Are we truly dying with Christ? See, for the Colossians, there was always that pullback, that pullback to the rules and regulations, the, the pullback to say, well, actually, we'll just cover up what is going on in our hearts by outward things. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And that pullback can be immense for us as well. We can try and make ourselves look as if we're spiritual by doing things that look spiritual. It's as if we get an air freshener out and just spray around some kind of spiritual activities and say, actually, we're on the right track. But what is going on deep within? Are we allowing the spirit to do that renovation work in our hearts as we die with Christ? 
You see, all these external markers, Paul says, they were a shadow of what was to come. But there is a bit of a word of caution here. Some people, as the early church continued into the second, third centuries, they, they read Paul and they started to think, well, actually, what Paul is saying is there's no rules, there's no regulations, just do what you want. And they took this not as license to be holy and uh, freedom to follow Jesus and be all that God is calling us to be. But they took it as freedom, basically, to sin. And they started to think, well, actually, this body is going to die. It's all going to go anyway. So why not just let it indulge in what it wants to do? And it became known as antinomianism. Now, that is a great word if you're playing Scrabble. But apart from that, it's just this idea that actually the gospel is licensed to do whatever we want. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Being saved, being born again of water and of the spirit is all about becoming who we are in Christ. It's about living out the calling that we have already accepted. We are connected not to our ideas of freedom, but to the ideas that Jesus has placed inside of us. Christ, who in the Sermon on the Mount shows us what the life of the kingdom is all about. Christ, who shows us a life where the blessings that we think we should have are actually inverted in the Beatitudes. Christ, who will come in if we invite him and by his spirit will change our desires, not just put rules and regulations around them. You see, the true Christian life, the life of the disciple is not a life of following rules and regulations, but it's a life of delighting in the person of the Son of God, in the Lord Jesus, a longing to be like him, of longing to follow after his ways, of having his agenda as our agenda. Not obedience to a written law, but a desire to find delight in pleasing a person. Is your desire, is my desire today, to allow that renovation work to happen inside? Do we long to become the people that God longs for us to be? Or are we just seeking human approval? Are we looking for that tick list and say, actually, I'm quite spiritual because I do X, Y and Z? Romans 12 verse 2, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. Let God do the work. Don't try and put the rules and regulations around. And then we will grow to be like him, walking in step with the Spirit. Well, it's my prayer today that actually that is who we will continue to become, that we will take Paul's words here seriously. We will see what the Lord has said to us and that we will ask God afresh by his Spirit to keep working in us, changing us and transforming us. There's just going to be a slide on the screen for a moment, just with some reflection points. Um, perhaps you just want to spend in the quiet some moments just looking at those and reflecting over them.